0: Welcome. I am Aaron. And I'm Gabe. This is the We Talk About That podcast,
1: where we talk about anything and everything. Hi, Gabe. How are you? Hey, Aaron. Doing great today. It's actually kind of, um, kind of cool in the garage. It's probably only like 80 degrees. I was going to say you haven't complained about the heat yet. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been real chilly down here. Uh, kids are wearing sweatshirts all waiting for school, and it's you know in the 70s, 80s. How's everything up there? Uh, not bad. Uh, not to sound like a Minnesotan that I am. Uh, I am
0: getting over a little <laughs> bit of a cold. Uh, just, just in the tail end of it. Um, I don't sound too bad and it's not affecting me too much, but I do have a little bit of sniffles. So hopefully that doesn't interrupt people listening today too much. There We're a going again. On week two or week three. Uh, <laughs> this thing's been kicking your butt. I know. It was about uh, two and a half weeks. Uh, man, it was bad. I... It wasn't COVID though. I'm pretty sure it was just a cold. I was out at uh, some friend's cabin and they had their kid there and their kid who's now in daycare uh, ended up having something pretty brutal. And so did the the two whose cabin I went to. And I didn't think it was going to affect me, but two days after I was back, it was, it was in full swing, like tired all the time. Like I'd be going to sleep at like 7 (laughs) PM.
1: Jeez. Yeah. Daycare is just, it's a, breeding ground for all sorts of new types of illnesses and diseases. When my kids were going, they'd be like every week or every other week, they'd have something new. Yeah, bringing it back to you. Yep, exactly. So glad we're
0: over that phase now. So uh, the last few episodes, we've been talking about, uh, you know, like we brought up robots a few times. We we mentioned uh, Elon Musk or Tesla's uh, what do we, what is it called?
1: Op, uh, uh, We Optimus talked about robot. that a little
0: bit. Um, that falls into a category of robots that I did a little bit of research on robotics in general that falls into a category, maybe even a couple of different categories. But I, today I wanted to talk about robotics in general, what the different categories are. There's, uh, generally there's five different categories and that is broken down based off of their function or how they operate. And we can talk about that or I can explain those. So I don't know if this is actually in order of. Their capabilities, I would like to think it is a little bit, but I would put fully autonomous down at the bottom of the list. It's not in the order I'm going to read it, but we can just keep that in mind. Gotcha. Uh, So the first category is pre-programmed robots. When you think about that, that's essentially something that's been programmed to do one task and do it very well. In general, these robots are made and programmed to do those tasks longer, faster, and much more efficient than a human. An example of that might be like a mechanical arm on an assembly line or, you know, something that spot welds metal together on like an auto manufacturing line or something like that. It does that one thing very well. Uh, the next one is humanoid robots. That's something that is made to look or act like humans, usually to perform a human activity, such as running, jumping, carrying, or a combination of all, all of those in order to complete more complex tasks. Um, examples of these might be, uh, robots that pick up produce, not produce, you know, but products in like a warehouse do it autonomously you know like just move one thing from over there and put it and stack it up with over there or something like that or uh medical nope wrong one <clears throat> exam other examples um, of these might be um i don't know if you've heard of hanson robotics sophia uh that's actually in one of the links yeah. i sent you
1: yeah i have actually yeah i, I pulled that up <laughs> now that's the one i keep going back to it's Creepy. It is creepy, so <laughs> creepy looking. So this this robot, the Sophia robot, it's essentially like
0: uh I don't know, it's like a robotic torso and only like the shoulders up kind of look, you know, they actually put like uh latex or you know, a face on it. I'm not mm-hmm. completely sure what they use this robot for.
1: I don't know. I think it's like a just a proof of concept thing. From what I understand about yeah, it, yeah, I think so. I think you're supposed to be able to like talk, talk with her. Yeah, there was some video there. I haven't had a chance to watch. The picture it. on their website has like, a, has like a
0: keypad and a mouse in front of her. It
1: looks like she's actually using it. It's terrifying. Um, it, it's such a good job, though. It's like the the face actually just. If you, if you didn't look closely, you wouldn't know it was actually a robot. They did an extremely good job at making it look um, human. Yeah.
0: Um, now, reading on their webpage, this is definitely more so like their attempt or like you said, a concept of like what a humanoid, but also like AI robot would be. So the humanoid robots in the general definition of robotics is, you know, they... They don't necessarily have artificially, you know, artificial intelligence. They might have some decision making algorithms that allow them to recognize this is a box from, you know, the location I need to pick up and put it over there or, you know, something like that. So um, humanoid for sure. But this kind of brings up a good point. Some robots might actually fall into multiple of these categories. Right. Um. Which getting to the next topic, like I said, or the next category, like I said, necessarily isn't in order of function. But I would like to think that as you go through these different categories, we're working up towards autonomous robots, which is kind of the next one on our list. But uh, uh, autonomous robots, they're robots that operate independently of human operators. They use sensors to perceive the world environment around them. And they use computers to make use of decision-making algorithms in order to complete their tasks. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that is fully AI, but those algorithms allow them to, you know, kind of ad hoc and problem solve. Like, you know, if they're walking right. across the, the floor and there's a table or something or an obstruction in their way, they go, well, I'll just go around it.
1: Yeah. Like a, a Roomba or something like that. They're actually pretty good at navigating your house and they kind of, they map it out and they figure it out um, so that they clean the whole floor. But then if you like drop something or if there's something new, they figure out how to go around it and avoid it. It's kind of interesting. It's pretty cool watching them figure that out. Yeah. It's like a little, little problem solving. So it's, it's running off of obviously some pre-programmed algorithm that it uses and somehow. It's able to predict the environment and come up with new solutions, which is is pretty trippy. Yeah,
0: exactly. So those are perfect examples of what autonomous robots might be. So in my house, we have, um, I think they're iRobot mm-hmm. brand, but we have a vacuum cleaner and a mop. And the, oh, you have a mop yeah, too. the only input that you give them is like the first time you run it, you like put it in a room and you say, this is the kitchen or mm. well shit i wasn't here when when my wife set it up actually i think what happens is you just let it go and it just maps out yeah. every place it can possibly go and then on the mm-hmm. phone app it actually shows you the map that it created for that level of your floor cuz it you know can't go upstairs and stuff um and you 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 physically afterwards say this is the kitchen this is the living room this is the bathroom bedroom bathroom stuff like that so the only input that you have with this type of robot is clean the kitchen and it will it'll re- remove itself from its docking station and go
1: to the kitchen and just sweep and mop that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those things I just so fascinated watching them explore. Yeah, uh, we had one for a little bit. I think it was the i iRobot or whatever brand you have. We only had it for a couple months and then the kids broke it. (laughs) It's so sad. Now it's sitting in the closet. I tried to fix it, but no luck. But yeah, it's just, it's so strange, you know, it just, and then when the battery runs out, it remembers where the the docking station was and just drives back and parks itself.
0: That's what ours does. Or if it's full, it's ours. The docking station that we have is like a, it's like a larger container for, you know, it's, it's, its waste the stuff it picks up mm-hmm. so when it when it detects that it's full it'll go back and then you know the robot itself is pretty quiet but the docking station when it needs to empty that really sounds like a vacuum <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> so do it in the middle of the night wake you up
0: <laughs> no we don't really have it on a timer we just we do it if it's like oh you know there's getting we got quite a bit of cat hair on the floor or you know just crumbs mm-hmm. and stuff it it's really good at picking up little stuff but You know, we still we still still do a more thorough job
1: every once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, it's that whatever algorithm they programmed into it, it's like you got to imagine it's fairly simple. You know, they're able to mass produce it and send it out and all these. I mean, you're not paying that much for these robots, but the it seems like it's a lot more difficult problem than the more you think about it it just seems like it gets more and more complicated. I, I don't know what kind of magic these people programmed into these things, but it's, uh, it's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's really all, I mean, it's kind of, go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I was just thinking the first thing I was going to bring up was like um, the Tesla autopilot, you know, but the, I mean, it's kind of the same thing and it's probably even more complex too with the self-driving cars. It, just all of the, things and all the possibilities that you could encounter on the highway and they actually do a really good job at navigating that without really any human um, uh, need to correct it. So they're making some serious progress in this this kind of um, learning and just using the sensory input based off of an existing algorithm. I don't know once again a half formed thought (laughs) no i mean so that's
0: i i think that's a lot of where like the people who program these these robots that's where they start like how do you do this and a lot of the decision making algorithms you know on the front of the robots they've got this big bumper um and i think Mm it i think it's able to move in different locations like it obviously can move straight back towards the robot but i think it actually can move side to side too That way, if like the robot's just Mm -hmm. clipping into something, it goes, oh, it's my corner. And, you know, the algorithm says, well, I need to back up a tiny bit, rotate a little bit and try it again. And it's just a recursive algorithm. Like, I don't know if it actually knows where it's at. I mean, the smarter ones do, but like while it's there,
1: I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does seem when you watch it, it seems very simplistic, like you were saying, because I've, yeah, I've watched mine Um, when it was still alive, it would, um, yeah, it would do exactly that. It would kind of bump in the corner and then it would just adjust a little bit and whatever object, it was a circular object. I don't remember what it was, but this thing just, you know, made its way all the way around Mm -hmm. it. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty simple algorithm, but I don't know. My mind immediately goes to just, um, like animals too. (laughs) You know, you think of animals navigating the world as being, really complicated, but maybe it is all just based off of these really simple algorithms.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, you look at any robots interactions, and it might be hard to tell where one algorithm stops and the next starts, but I'm pretty sure that almost Mm -hmm. every robot has multiple algorithms. And each one is is specifically used for certain use cases, like getting around the leg of a chair in the living room, or or if it's a robot that can navigate stairs, it's it's a different algorithm for recognizing that the elevation is changing and I need to pick my legs up a little bit more or, you know, rebalance the center of mass of the, you know, the overall body so that it doesn't fall back and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that balancing thing, that seemed like a really hard problem for them to figure out, but I think they've got it nailed now. Are you talking about Boston Dynamics? <laughs> I... I am. Yeah, yes, indeed. There's a
0: video that I recall watching where they would actually kick the robot, like with some force, not just like you know, like you're kicking a soccer ball, but they would put their foot on it and push it away, and the robot yeah. wouldn't fall over. Like after they got it sorted out, it would kind of recoil and use its legs to catch its balance and re- right itself. <laughs> I've again. seen that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's so funny to. I feel bad watching that, but it's like, why? You know, why do you feel bad? you know, like, oh, they're abusing, they're abusing the robot. Cause yeah, they're just full up like kicking it and pushing it over and yeah. hitting it with bats and stuff. I've seen those too. Um, I guess it's a uh, raining outside. Sorry. So if you hear a little bit, you'll have to let me know if that's too loud. No, it's fine. I can fix it in post probably
0: maybe. <laughs> um, so, so the next category of robots is uh teleoperated robots. So this is, semi-autonomous robot that uses a wired or wireless network to enable control from a distance Um, generally these are used in like extreme weather conditions or um, extreme environmental locations that are not really conducive for you know humans to go and and do activities there so examples of this might be like a remotely controlled uh, submarine Uh, that that use case is why i mentioned wired because i think um, network signal propagation is absolutely terrible underwater, so they actually have a cable that tethers to the submarine, so you can still control it. Um, right. drones. You know, you mentioned in a couple of different uh, episodes that we've done already that you're playing around with your drone. That's a teleoperated robot. Um, mm-hmm. another one would be like what SWAT teams use to remotely defuse bombs. You know, they get their little robot out there with the the pinchers and the little knife and stuff. Um, yeah. There's not much to really go into on that. It's essentially just a, you know, like an RC car or oh. something you hook a controller up to or control it yourself.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting with the, um, the drone aspect to that. I was just flying my drone around again at the park yesterday, but, and then I did some research as well on some of the other DJI drones. And the obstacle avoidance stuff is so cool. Um, Basically in their marketing, I obviously haven't tested it out, but they're basically showing people flying the drone through um, trees and it'll just automatically avoid it. So, you know, it's got sensors and some sort of algorithm, um, but it can even do it at speed. Um, And some of their... POV type drones can, you know, they're going sixty miles an hour and can actively avoid obstacles in their way. So like
0: you just push forward and it just swerves around stuff for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep, and it's got scanners, the cameras on all sides. Yep. So if something underneath, something above, something in front of it, it just whoosh, swerves around it. So.
0: So then. It's pretty cool. Then the uh, the last type of robotics or robots is augmenting robots. Um, by the technical definition, it is a robot, but this is generally used to replace or enhance current human capabilities. Examples of this might be uh, a robotics enhanced prosthetic limb where it used actuators and, and integrated systems to help people who need prosthetics have more motor control. I've seen some pretty some pretty crazy uh, videos of people who have. You know, a prosthetic hand and they're able to like actuate all the fingers with great, great precision. So, uh, you know, I'm really glad to start seeing like technology actually start assisting in that way for people who need prosthetics, because. On the other end of the spectrum, the earlier prosthetics is like somebody with a hook that they control with like their shoulder muscle or something. You know, it's pretty rudimentary. Yeah,
1: It's almost like uh, we're getting pretty close to Star Wars and Luke Skywalker's robotic hands. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know, and I mean, because some of these things they control with like their that. mind. Yeah.
1: So either, so I don't, I guess I, I don't know if if they can connect it up to some existing nerve and actually have it actuated that way. But I do know there's, there's ones that it just takes a brain scan and you're basically training it to you know, you think move hand and it it reads your brain scan and can basically interpret that into movement. So it's like you're moving it with your mind.
0: I think it's, I think one instance where I saw this and there's probably different ways to do this. Um, hmm. there's still even like, let's say that somebody was missing their, you know, their hand from like their wrist or, you know, there's, there's still multiple muscle groups within the limb that's left over that you can hook a sensor up to from the the prosthetic and it just takes a little bit of training for that person to instead of you know like what normally would be like curl your fist or something mm-hmm. um you know retrain yourself to be like okay that's no longer how I curl my fist that's that's how I actuate right. the hand in a certain way
1: okay that makes sense too yep yep it's pretty cool stuff the mind reading stuff is <laughs> with the I think I've seen something like Neuralink. that too though yeah did we um I don't remember if we talked about Neuralink yet we seem to bring up um um Tesla in every episode we talk about but you gotta stop that man <laughs> I know right And just getting our foot in the door yeah. um but yeah basically um putting a computer chip into your brain that can read your mind and I could see how that would there's all sorts of possibilities. You could just be, you know, speaking of drones, you could be piloting a humanoid robot with your mind. You know? Yeah. Put goggles on and with your little uh, neural link chip and be running around doing parkour or something. A you know, robot body.
0: Um. That's. Excuse me. Um. So the definition of like a robot is like they have to have a physical form, body or chassis in some way to like move either itself or move something that it's interacting with. However, there is what people have been calling a software robot. So like various like chat rooms, like on Discord community servers or Twitch community servers. They have chatbots that automatically crawl through the text and make sure nobody's using profanity and stuff like that. That's still basically mm-hmm. a robot like it. You know, it just I don't know, functions differently, but for the sake of the definitions yeah. of robotics, it's not actually a robot, but it's interesting to make that distinction or it's important to make that distinction because a lot of the the computer applications or programs, they still have a lot of the same essential decision making processes that would make them essentially a robot.
1: Right. Well, it's just like, it's like the algorithm say in your Roomba or iRobot or whatever, but it's just doing different things and living completely in a digital space. Right. Yeah. It's just performing different tasks, um, online and not in the real world. Yeah. That's, that's something, wow. That is a really cool, cool idea, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So with a lot of the robots though, each each of these categories, whether you know if there's a robot in any one of those, there's main components of a robot as well. Um, and you can think of them or give them a similar likeness to various ways that the human body works. So the one the first thing that they need or one of the things that they need is a control system. This is used to tell tell the robot how to take advantage of like its specific components and stuff. This is like a processor usually it's some kind of computer integrated chip on the robot itself or I guess if it's a teller operated one, it might not be locally, but it's used in the decision making process. Um, you can think of this as like the human brain. Uh, another one is you need sensors. Uh, this provides the robot with information via translated electrical signals, you know, whether that's from like, oh, I bumped into something like the, the vacuum robots you know, that sensor gets translated into an electrical signal that goes to the processor that says, oh, I ran into something. This is how humans have the sense of touch, smell, sight, hearing, all that stuff. Um, Next one is actuators. So this allows the frame or the chassis to be able to move and or pick up or move the objects around it depending on its function. This is, you know, arms, fingers, uh, rotating camera, or a rotating servo that would be able to turn the camera, because the camera itself would be a sensor. Um, These are generally controlled by pneumatics or hydraulics, but in some cases they can be controlled by electronic servos or little electronic motors. Um, The next is a power supply, uh, generally internal batteries, or if it's a stationary robot like a manufacturing arm that would be plugged into like an AC wall outlet. Um, but this is similar to how human bodies need food as a fuel source, essentially. And then the end effectors, I would think of these as like the, spe- the specific tools that a robot needs in order to complete its task. Things like maybe a paint sprayer, if it's a, you know, automated, you know, vehicle panel sprayer at a factory or a drill or a scalpel if it's a remote surgery device or just hands for grabbing stuff or, you know, other kind of gripping claws. But essentially, a robot would have in one one way or another, essentially every single one of these. And you'll probably notice a little bit of a glitch in the episode there. One of us actually had a power outage for a little bit there. Um, unfortunately, it's it's raining down in some places of Texas pretty hard, but um <laughs> Yeah, it's me too. My fault. It's you. Uh, we just got done talking about the main <laughs> the components gods. of a robot. These are generally all included in some way or another, in order to like make what is a robot. Um, general use examples for today, like how robots are used today. Um, they can be used, or they are being used in in various manufacturing, right? Like I mentioned, how there might be. A robotic arm, or there might be um, product moving robots within a warehouse or something like that, uh, which I guess would be more logistics. So then logistics is, is definitely being used by robots. Uh, home use. Um, I know we're seeing uh, Tesla doing their, I forget the name all the time. I'm just going to call it Voltron. Optimus. Optimus. <laughs> Voltron. Uh, the, is Voltron, no, Voltron is how I sounded last week because of my cold. Oh, okay. <clears> okay. <throat> But home use, there's there's Optimus that's coming out or the robots, um, iRobot or Roombas. There's other kind of uh, uh, companies out there that do the the vacuums. And then there's travel. You know, there's the automated pilot mode on Tesla vehicles. You're actually sitting in it. But for all intents and purposes, at that point, it's it's kind of being a fully autonomous robot at that point. Like cars, cars really are Mm -hmm. robots. Even if you're sitting in it, yeah. you you know, that would be considered, I suppose, a subcategory of teleoperated. because, I don't know, you're sitting in it, but you're controlling it and it has wheels. So that's how it moves. It has lights and other sensors like, you know, t- temperature sensors. Those are mostly for like self-monitoring, but I think it meets all of the criteria. Um, and then healthcare, I think, I think some of those, uh, the, when they like hook an IV to you and, uh, you know, it delivers drugs for you. And I think they, I think they set it, its own timer on there. I mean, that's kind Mm -hmm. of considered a robot. It's, it's moving liquids, which are diluted with drugs. So it's, I think that meets the. You know the definitions there as well but i mean ct scanners mris those are robots
1: right and just the i think they have uh, certain systems to dispense the medication not like just an iv but for the nurses to mm-hmm. access the it's basically locked up and you have to type in the code and the doctor's orders and everything like that to um, <clears throat> release the medication to dispense it But all sorts of things and even the I, I guess this would be a question, but um, like the the actual software that the nurses and the doctors use to process patient information and to, you know, dispense the drugs and recommend treatments and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Robots are everywhere.
0: They really are. Um, just recently, within the last couple of weeks, I finally broke down and I bought some Amazon echoes uh, they're like the little speakers and they' uh, home smart home integrated system so it's got an app on my phone I know we're saying like software is not by definition a robot but if it's got physical components to it like the speakers and then you know I've got some Wi-Fi enabled smart lights so I can use that as integration I guess as a software itself it's not a robot but when you give it all these connective capabilities, to be able to take commands and perform tasks for you. Uh, I, I think mm-hmm. once you add those those separate components, it is a robot. Like I control my lights. It yeah. tells me the weather. I can have it set up an alarm, add things to my my grocery list, you know, so on and so forth. You The, you know, the imagination is really your limit there. I know some of the more complicated integrations for smart home accessories, they take a little bit of like, you get in the weeds, and you actually end up doing a little bit of coding if it's not natively supported. Mm. But I, I guess you could say right. I have a robot in my house outside of my vacuum cleaner.
1: Yeah, it's a also known as a spy, a spy for the government. Yeah, if you're conspiratorial. <laughs> you know, I used to be. I'm just. Kidding. I used to be
0: really, like, worried about that. Like, of course, I don't go to just chuck in my my credit card numbers and my social security numbers and stuff out there. Excuse me. I'm trying to talk through a hiccup here. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I'm, I don't willy nilly put my information out there, but, um, do I think that anything overtly or, you know, blatantly malicious is going to come from me having smart home stuff? I, I don't think so.
1: Um, no, no, I don't think so either. There's enough people using it too, where it's, I, I mean, i'm sure someone will figure out how to use that information at some point and then it will become valuable yeah it's just like with um facebook and all the other social media that's how they make their money is by selling your information um that's how they can be free so it's kind of the same thing with the the alexa and the smart home stuff it's like and it's probably not malicious at this point but you could imagine sometime in the future where that information would be valuable and People are selling it or right. using it to extort you or something like that. But that's that's a different topic. It is, I, yeah.
0: I mean, do I think that Amazon is probably listening to how I interact with my Amazon devices? Probably. And if approached by it, they will probably say, it's so that we can more clearly understand what the people yeah. need out of our devices. It's for product development. And I don't think that that's yeah. not true. But if they also have that information, they can refine their their shopping experience on their website to try to cater things to you as well. And that's, it's not really a double-edged sword. It's kind of just a, it's just a sword, right? Like it's good for them. And it's good for me because I find the things that I want and they become a more effective retailer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's most likely the, the scenario. I always like to look at the dark side of things. Like, you know, maybe they're secretly building a, an algorithm of you and they're going <laughs> to use all of your mannerisms and um, create
0: deep fakes of me.
1: The way the way you do things. Yeah, I create a deep fake. Next time I'm on the podcast with you, I'm going to be talking to a, a clone, like a robot that Amazon
0: uh, makes my job easier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that. That's actually a possibility, too. There are people talking about that as far as, um, yeah, deep fakes or creating just uh, another version, a clone of you. Um, I know that's come up with, like, social media accounts specifically. There'll be bots that kind of monitor how you post things and how you react to things. And then after some people have died, you know, the account keeps going. And you could basically talk to this social media account and get similar reactions back from the person even though it's not them
0: yeah it would seemingly not ever develop any further though right it would be in a state of like an arrested development
1: possibly but you can imagine if there's a sophisticated enough algorithm that it kind of just
0: build build off of interactions
1: yeah it just builds off of it and that's it's where you start getting into like actual artificial intelligence and yeah artificial general intelligence but once again it's in the weeds (laughs) not quite robots
0: yeah not to get away from too you know not not to get away from science and get too uh philosophical here but i think the reason why i gave up on like really caring if i have a speaker in my house is you know what is life you know just just live it man (laughs) life is too short if it's there and it's cool just just go for it
1: yeah, I'm I'm getting more and more with you on that too. Yeah. Just makes your life easier, you know. Yeah. Might as well might as well. Um what so I've been thinking just as we're talking here about these Boston Dynamic robots too. Like what what is the purpose? <laughs> Why are they building these robots? So
0: initially I was going to make the robotics topic just Focused on like Boston Dynamics, but after looking mm-hmm. at their website, they actually you you can purchase them as a service.
1: Okay. So oh yeah
0: yeah you can you can customize the robots to have um, different modules on them. I'm trying to figure out where I saw like that
1: that that spot I know now I'm spot they, they have, have a robot named Atlas as mm-hmm. well,
0: which is the uh, the more humanoid looking one.
1: That's the one I was thinking about, because I know I've heard um, people talk about that Spot Robot. Like, um, what's his name? Uh, Lex Friedman. He, I think he actually worked on the Spot Robot, and he worked at Boston Dynamics, and yeah, they were talking about selling that as kind of like a a pet or a helper or something. But the, yeah, that that Atlas one, the humanoids that's doing backflips and... Dancing. Sprinting and dancing. It's like... That's the one that I can't figure out. Like I've seen it pick up boxes, but I mean, what do they even have an idea of what it's going to be for? Yeah, I
0: think they do. I just think uh, those, those things where you see where it's dancing or doing backflips or doing like a parkour course. I think that's just them saying like, you know, it's versatile and it's such a good robot. Look what fun we can have with it as well. You know, it's, it's good PR I think, but,
1: it, it is. Um, That's also
0: scary. <laughs> they they have these little uh, anecdotal or like, I don't know, they, they explain that some companies already have purchased some of the robots for, you know, use. There's a, a company called uh, National Grid. They use Spot to keep employees safe and ensure uptime at a critical facility. So, I mean, they don't go into – there's a learn more tab, but I don't want to sit here and read on stream. But uh, BP uses them. Um to deploy, they deploy spot offshore. Um, let's see here.
1: I mean, it does make sense for yeah. dangerous environments. Like I can picture that, I guess now I've come up with an example. Um, like let's say like firefighters, like a, like a house, a house fire and you have to go and rescue people. I can see that as being like a really good application of it. Um, like the humanoid one of course that that kind of just flows from the idea of it kicking in my front door and (laughs) attacking me but it it might no it's it's a good it's a good robot it'll come in and save you from a fire yeah and it just depends on the application too who's running it and what the purpose is behind it yeah so
0: you know most of the most of the uh the forward-facing media that gets covered on boston dynamics robots is like it's boston dynamics posting a youtube video where you know they've got their robots dancing or you know they're kicking their dog <laughs> um mm-hmm. but you know in those videos where you see spot the the dog like robot catch its balance it doesn't fall over just that in itself showcase showcasing the algorithm where they taught this robot to recognize when it's going to lose balance or fall over and to write itself um that technology in itself is something that you know they're they're promoting and they are yeah they mm-hmm. they sell these.
1: That'd be cool. I'm not really a dog person, but maybe I could get a Spot robot. I I want to <laughs>
0: say that I did see I think you can buy a Spot for like $70,000. Oh. Cool. I could be wrong. I don't know where I, I know I saw something like that, but I can't remember where.
1: It's pretty reasonable. I guess it depends on what it does. Mhm uh if you're just having a dance or fetch or something not quite (laughs) i swear i've seen a video of somebody out walking one of those like on a leash that'd be funny (laughs) seventy thousand dollars and you just just uh have to go out and take it on a walk i mean you don't have to but (laughs) it's just the absurdity of that muting myself here to try to keep the thunder. I heard from, that. I wasn't is, sure if you were going to cut out. or not. <laughs> no, I'm s- still here for now. Uh, yeah.
0: It looks like a uh, business insider did an article and reportedly claims that you can buy a spot for around $75,000. Oh,
1: okay. And
0: I'm not, I'm, I don't know if that's the base model. Cause like I said, when you go to Boston dynamics and you go to their website, you can go to customize, you can put an extra like sensors on the top of it. You can, you can fit it out with a, a LIDAR sensor, which is a technology where they use. Uh, I got to look up what LIDAR is. It's mm, pretty common. It's a uh, light detection yeah, it's like and radar raging. with uh, lasers. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's how they, I think actually Tesla vehicles use it, but they have a lot of different LIDAR yeah. sensors on them to collect the most data around the vehicle to make the decision-making process or make right. the decisions. <sighs> um, but it's that, how you that, can, it's, it's omnidirectional. This what lidar is, so you can detect some, like elevation changes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah, there's different packages. So I don't know if that seventy five thousand dollars just gets you spot
1: or what you want. Yeah, somehow I doubt it. Yeah, I'm sure there's expensive add-ons. But
0: this is going to be a terrible segue, everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do it. <laughs>
0: Nothing related to robots. Well, I guess technically a satellite could be a robot. (laughs) But uh, recently I I stumbled on how NASA has been using something called sonification to translate astronomical data into a sound. So the one that I recently found was on the the Perseus galaxy cluster. Couldn't tell you where it is. Mm.
1: it's uh in space it's in space yes that's right
0: (laughs) it's not even in our solar system oh but uh they use sonification in order to hear what sound this data would sound like and it actually it's according to what they say the lowest recorded sound in the universe it's 57 to 58 octaves lower than what the middle c note would be i'm not a musically inclined person but
1: It's really low. It's really
0: low. In order for them to, Mm -hmm. to make it so that we could actually hear it, they had to boost the frequency by, 144 quadrillion to 288 quadrillion times the original frequency.
1: You say 50, 57 or 58 octaves. Yes. So that's. Each octave is going to be what seven keys? No, I feel stupid. I I think so. so. Multiply that by seven, and that's you picture on like a piano and how low that would be. Yeah. So it'd be like 350, 400 keys lower than the middle C. That's that's nuts.
0: Uh, Anyway, so I'm going to play that sound. All right.
1: just sounds super ominous yes that's what i can't decide if it's it's like a choir that's been muted you know or if it's like the screams of the damned from hell i don't know
0: so they actually have done this ominous yeah they've done this a few to a few different uh i don't know i guess this one's a galaxy cluster so there's like thousands of different galaxies within this ginormous cluster um, they've done it with a few other ones, and you can actually go to the website. It's https colon forward slash forward slash uh, chandra.si.edu slash sound. Um, they've got a few different ones, and some of these are taken by multiple uh, observatories on, on Earth and out in space. So, like, some of them have, like, a radio wave spectrum that they're, they're converting the sound from. Some of them are x-rays. Some of them are... Uh, whatever the other spectrum is um, so some of these sounds they actually play them tandemly where like they assign different instruments to them so oh, some right. of them actually sound like I don't know just a like a lullaby that's supposed to be playing in the background
1: that's, that's just so strange I, I don't even know what to I, I guess it's just it's frequencies so you're just right. yeah you could just turn it into an instrument and
0: right. So like the one of them, it was like, it was like plucking like a harp or something like that, but it was, it was only playing. So, so the way that they did this is they, they picked the center of the galaxy cluster and then they, they,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: they kind of do like a radial movement around the center. So it kind of looks like a, like a radar line. Um, But they, they read, they read all of the, the, the information in a circle. Um, so on some of them where there's like stars in the background, when the line gets to that, it would be like, like plucking a harp.
1: That makes sense. So that was that, cause there was a little image that played with that too. Yeah. I thought that was just, okay. So they're actually like scanning around their different locations in the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so that's, that's why it changes too. That's why you have different sounds popping up. Okay. Yeah. Now that makes sense. That's really cool. Yeah, they, so I think they. The, oh, go ahead. The
0: interesting thing is, like, most people are like, well, "There's no sound in space," and that's mm. a lot of people think that's widely the truth. It's it's an assumption, really. The reason why a lot of people think this is because there's space is essentially a vacuum, which doesn't allow you know for sound to travel. It travels through the the oxygen and the gas that's in our atmosphere. That's why we can mm-hmm. hear. So in space where there's a vacuum, there's no medium for for sound waves or vibrations to, to translate or to propagate through the space.
1: Well, it's, almost, it's very much like listening to this podcast too because I'm speaking and I'm making vibrations in the air. It's going into the microphone. It's getting translated into digital signal and broadcast across the world to wherever you're listening right now. And then it's getting transferred back into into sound again in the air. So, I mean, in space, you're just picking up the, the, um, uh, electromagnetic spectrum that's getting put off and that can travel through a vacuum and then they're just translating it to sound. So you would think so. It's not that crazy.
0: You would think so, but that's not actually how they did this. That's not how they did no. it. No. So in the galaxy cluster for, like I mentioned, this one is the Perseus that we just listened to the Perseus galaxy cluster. Um, there's mm-hmm. actually a lot of gas within that cluster because it's really yeah. So there's there's tons of gases just everywhere, which means that there is a medium for vibrations to propagate. So what they actually did oh. is they can observe these vibrations through through seeing how the gas is interacting okay. with its you know cluster. Um, wow! So they're able to extrapolate astronomical data from vibrations that they can observe.
1: Um, in the in the gas, that's that's even more trippy. So it could be like the screams of the dance. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> so they're actually wow. Okay, I had no idea. Um, that's because I had I had seen them like um, playing sounds from you know what a black hole would sound like, and they were just looking at the EM spectrum that was being emitted. But they're actually looking at the vibrations of the gas. That's intense. Yeah,
0: so I just sent you the link from the the, the NASA website where they explain this. But um, at that link that I mentioned earlier, they actually have a, a list of mm-hmm. a lot of them. And they do have Sagittarius A,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: which I think they used how you described to make that sound.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And, and yeah, technically, yeah. it's not actually... It's not actually. Uh, it's not actually the black hole's light. We kind of talked about this, how like light bends around. Mm-hmm. It's actually the shadow or See. the background light.
1: Mm-hmm. Or like the accretion disk. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure what they looked at, but that yeah, is. It is pretty good. It was kind of anticlimactic. So I was. I was looking out for that. That picture because there had been rumors that NASA was going to make an announcement people were saying oh they probably took a picture of sagittarius a which is the black hole at the center of our galaxy the In milky Way galaxy area. yeah and it's so they had previously taken one i think it's called m87 or something it's from a different uh a different galaxy but that black hole is hundreds of times larger than ours so it was actually easier for them to image it um ours is closer but it's also smaller So it was kind of, that was the achievement is they were actually able to take a picture of it, but it's, the image is not nearly as impressive (laughs) as the M87 one, but it's still cool. I think it's really cool. What if,
0: what if like, that's actually communication from the galaxy?
1: Oh, that the sound. Yeah. It is. I mean, it is right. It is communication. It's just whether or not it contains any information that's usable to us True. or that we understand. I mean, it is communication. Well, I right?
0: mean, because like an entity. It could be, it could be.
1: Cause that's, you know, our, con- uh, conception of what life is, is obviously very human centric cause it's, and even animals, but it's all based off of the same building blocks with DNA. Um, You could have life, say, you know, in a cloud of gas. I'm sure there's a a Star Trek episode about that, like an intelligent entity that's just made up of gas or entities that um, are alive and sentient that are just made out of floating around in space in a a nebula. You could be listening to them talking to each other.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I don't know if I've seen that episode. I know I've seen some some other sci-fi shows where I think that's the case, Mm
1: -hmm. but it
0: brings up whether it's just, you know, some sci-fi writer making something that we think is absurd. It brings up the good point that what we perceive as language is very, I don't want to say narrow-minded, but we understand how to communicate with each other. But there might be other forms of communication out there that, you know, this, this could be a language. I, you know, if we were to assume that it was actually something trying to communicate
1: Mm -hmm. for sure. And that's, what's so funny when people talk about SETI, um, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, Mm -hmm. it's a program that's just been listening to communications, uh, from wherever space, they just a bunch of locations. They're just listening for signals and trying to interpret it as maybe it's alien communication. They're basically just listening in to see if there's any aliens out there broadcasting. And then they just say, Nope, said he hasn't found anything in 30 years or whatever. And it's like, well, what? that's so silly. (laughs) Why (laughs) we're listening for radio communications. Why would aliens be broadcasting in radio spectrum? And why would it necessarily be, Um, some sort of logical signal and we're looking at a tiny 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 area of the galaxy Um, and even if you look at our own communications like how email works it's not a signal that's sent it's packets that are broken up and encrypted and sent different locations Um, and they kind of just find their way to the endpoint and get reassembled so if you were looking for that and aliens are as sophisticated as we are right now with email communications, we wouldn't be able to pick that up with SETI. So, yeah, I think we need to broaden our um, ideas about what communications might look like. And then there's the whole thing like, well, maybe they just don't want to, you know, maybe it's really stupid to be broadcasting signals like we are doing, um, like Earth has been doing, just broadcasting it unencrypted to whomever may be picking it up we don't know their intent
0: yeah i think it repeats like physics theorems and 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 solved mathematical excuse me mathematical equations that that we use to understand the world right Mm -hmm. so it it's it's a way of it whoever picks it up if they can translate it into however they perceive information and be like, Oh, so they're talking about this. So they're at least they, they would know what tier of a civilization we are.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I forget what that's called, but they, yeah, they did broadcast some sort of message with like which planet we are, which star, where we are in the galaxy. And then some mathematical proofs and specifications on the size of humans. And I mean, just, crazy stuff if you're if you're a paranoid thinker it just seems like a horrible idea but and then same thing with the voyager probes too they sent those out with like a golden record with all sorts of specifications on where to find us what we are and i mean if you're if you're an optimistic type i mean we're just reaching out to talk to some sophisticated friendly aliens humans are lonely they'll want to know where we are but <laughs> if you watch any sci-fi it doesn't seem like a really smart move i think that's what like stephen hawking was saying that i was just a really bad idea <laughs> to be broadcasting but anyways hopefully it turns out well all right but i think uh so
0: there's something called strange repetitive radio signal mm. um they, I can't remember if they're specifically from a pinpointed location, but astronomers have spotted a miss. I'm just reading from, excuse me, got the hiccups. Re- reading from a Google search here, but astronomers have spotted a mysterious radio radio signal relatively close to Earth that is behaving unlike any observed before. These so these uh radio wave signals they detect them a lot, but this one, um located around 4,000 light years away inside the Milky Way galaxy appears once every 18 minutes and lasts between 30 to seconds, 30 to 60 seconds each. Hmm. So it's like, it's like got a pattern.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this was actually, um, earlier this year, sometime in January.
1: <clears throat> Do they have any speculation on what it is or it's just no idea? I guess it's in the name. They don't really know, right? (laughs) What was it? Strangely repeating. What was the name again or the acronym? Uh, Strangely
0: repetitive, strange repetitive radio signal. So they actually are. are, This isn't the first one that they've seen. It's just weird that this one has a repetitive radio signal. And mm -hmm. when we say radio, like that's a certain spectrum Mm -hmm. on uh, the light spectrum, right?
1: Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. So
0: it's, it's not to say like it's coming from a radio. Our radios are called that no. because they work off of the same band. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and like the radio, what we would think of like you turn on your car radio, it's kind of referencing to a certain spectrum on the an electromagnetic um, spectrum as a whole. So it's kind of confusing. Um, so, when they, yeah, when they say radio, they just mean some sort of electromagnetic signal. Um, the
0: article says that the team's leading theory is that the source of the strange signal is a magnetar, which is a type of Mm -hmm. neutron star with an extremely intense magnetic field, uh, specifically
1: one that spins comparatively slow. Right. Yeah. I know they've, they've picked up these signals before, Mm -hmm. um, many times, um, they're either pulsars or like you're saying a magnetar but you know i think maybe they're wondering what this is just because it is so specific it's um so repeatable cuz generally with the pulsar it's not going to be as exact as they're talking about here you're going to get a pulse um of radiation you know when one of the poles basically is pointing at us um and uh, the electromagnetic field of the star is directing its energy in our direction but the star is spinning really quickly um, and it can be orbiting other stars and so you get kind of an erratic signal yeah so if this one sounds like it's very repetitive
0: yeah and i think that's why they they claim that it they think it's a very slowly rotating magnetic field mm. because it is not rapid It's every like 18
1: minutes. But But could be, could be a message. It could be. Do you know what they pick? Do you know what they pick that up with? Was that SETI or was that just, just some random, this is NASA, right? I think, I believe so. Okay. So who knows? Not a big deal. I was just curious. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually how how um in some of these messages we've sent out that's how we locate our uh our solar system in the galaxy is by referencing certain pulsars or magnetars yeah it's like and i honestly don't know the difference between a pulsar and a magnetar i, I, I think they you. might be the same thing but yeah they, they reference it because some of these do are um so um repeatable like their signal is so reliable that you can just, you know, basically say, oh, it's going to repeat every whatever, you know, five seconds. There's going to be a, a, a blip of a signal and then you can reference that one and then you reference another one. and You get like six of them. and You can point back to where Earth is in, um, in relation to those. So it's an interesting way of mapping, mapping the galaxy. Yeah, it's like
0: uh, there's two different types of way. Traditionally, it's usually uh, land navigation using a map, and that's you have a compass and you find your the angle that you need to travel at, and you you know you figure it out on a map, and then you use the compass to actually turn that way, and then you just walk in that direction. Or what you can do is look Mm -hmm. at the map and be like, "Well, there's a hill over here. There's a little cut in the ground. You know, using terrain features." So it kind of seems like what you're explaining is it's like a. you know, you're using terrain features, except it's not terrain, yeah, it's, it's yeah. stars and...
1: Uh, exactly. Uh,
0: observational exactly places to, is. To, to describe your
1: surroundings. Yeah, it'd be really cool. I've seen pictures of that where they actually... Gosh, I don't even know how I'd search for that. Um, I guess... Uh, let's see, Pulsar map, maybe. Um, Cause you can pull up images online of, of that map and it, it looks pretty sweet. I might, might want to get a tattoo of that. If I ever get a tattoo, I'm sorry. A tattoo of what? Um, that Pulsar map of where earth is. Oh. It was on the yes. the Voyager disc. Yeah. You could pull it up if you just Google Pulsar map. It's pretty interesting. That would be an interesting tattoo. Yeah. It's just a map, a map of how to find Earth. We we sent to the aliens. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, a pulsar is a highly magnetized rotating neutron star that emits a beam of electromagnetic radiation out of the poles. But I don't know how that's different from a magnetar we saw okay a new so it's a neutron star is a magnetar specifically ultra powerful magnetic field yeah
0: it's about a thousand times stronger than a normal neutron star and a trillion times stronger than the earth's magnetic
1: field that's so interesting that it's um a neutron star too is such an interesting concept because it's just all of the it underwent such a violent explosion um that all that's left is neutrons so it's extremely dense it's like just on the verge of collapsing into a black hole but and you talk about it just like if you were to take a teaspoon worth of neutrons off of the surface of one of those it would just be Millions of tons worth of weight just because it's so dense. But now we're getting into the weeds. We are. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun though. I like talking about this stuff We're thinking about it anyways. Something kind of,
0: it, well, it's not related to mass, so to speak, but how you said, like, if you take a teaspoon of it, I mentioned a couple episodes mm-hmm. about how there's, there's, an absolute zero where mm. molecules and atoms stands stand still and there's no activity. Um mm-hmm. and then we mentioned there's really isn't a maximum maximum temperature. But there is but there true. there is a temperature at which where we don't know what will happen. Right. Um and I think they called that the the Planck temperature or the Planck length.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um Yeah we But even you, like on the on the lower end of the temperature spectrum, take the internal temperature of the sun, which I believe is like billions of degrees.
1: Hmm. I never know. Tens of millions, maybe. About, about
0: 27 million degrees. Okay. And I'm it it says Fahrenheit, but you know, the difference is it's 15 million degrees Celsius. It's still really hot. <laughs> Um, if you were to take just a pinhead that was the temperature of the sun and put it on the earth, it would immediately burn and kill everything in a hundred mile radius around it.
1: just insane,
0: <laughs> and that's just the center I mean, of the sun and of on of this grand scale of, top of top how hot of things can get, the sun is not the hottest thing in the universe that's the that's the middle of the sun though the exterior of the sun is much less mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's like that's with that example of the pinhead and that temperature, that's exactly what a an atomic bomb does. Yeah. <laughs> it creates that temperature and it's very small, but it causes I, cause I huge actually think devastation. I actually think an
0: atomic bomb explosion is hotter than the internal temperature of the sun, but it's for the briefest of moments that it it, mm-hmm. it just doesn't doesn't work.
1: Right. Well, I mean that's what the sun is though is it's a constant basically never ending nuclear bomb exploding. So the surface to think about the surface
0: way. of the sun is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit versus
1: 27 million in the inside. It's, it's cooled off, cooled off a little bit. <coughs> Relatively balmy actually. Yeah.
0: Well, it's because the inside of the sun is so so much more dense. Mhm, and it's exploding and it's exploding constantly. all the time <laughs> that's all it is the, gravi- it's just, the gravitational you're looking force at a, of the sun is just keeping the explosion confined
1: that's I, I have to remind myself of that you know just look at the sun or you see it and it's just that is a nuclear bomb going off <laughs> that's 99.9 percent of the mass of our entire solar system it's like and then you, you have to put a little bit of sunscreen on because you might get right might get a, a little crispy. Well,
0: so the interesting thing is when solar flares happen, that's tied to... So like the sun, think of the sun as like this big ball of... Uh,
1: what is it? Is it made of helium? Hydrogen. Hydrogen? Hydrogen, yep. Mainly hydrogen and it's turning hydrogen into helium. Hyd- then, yeah, I don't think it's helium. turning helium into... And I I don't think it's going much farther than that. It might be creating like lithium or something, but
0: but uh, I don't remember what's next. So on the, the sun is table. this big ball of those two gases, and there's so much of it there, and it's so finely condensed that that's where it gets its heat. But it's also like under constant tension. Think of think of like if you had a I don't even know if this is real. <laughs> think of a slinky, <laughs> but it was a circle you know or just a, just a circle made of like a wire frame now take that right. and spin it in reverse op, uh directions at each pole like if you were to grab it on you know either end and just start spinning it and like never stop that's kind of what the sun's uh like magnetic forces are doing they're so twisted mm. up and and just under tension that What a solar flare is, is when one of these like magnetic bands from this twisting, like just has a violent, like it unravels or it repositions itself really quickly. It allows a lot Mm -hmm. of that plasma and stuff to just shoot off as a a solar flare. Yeah,
1: that's pretty good description. (laughs) I can see it. I can see it in my mind. I didn't know where you were going with that, but it's pretty effective. Yeah. I don't know if it's just my newsfeed, but I get a story almost every day about <laughs> another solar flare that's happening on the sun. Yeah. And they're actually, it's actually a real, um, risky scenario for us. Um, especially with the more technology we're using, the smaller our uh, transistors are getting in our computers, um, and our phones is we're very susceptible to pulses of electromagnetic radiation that would be emitted from like a solar flare for instance um and if we got a solar flare that actually hit us directly um it could potentially knock out all of our computers all of our technology just fry it instantaneously yeah yeah, our infrastructure yeah exactly um basically it would burn out um um, all the transformers the transformers Mm mm-hmm which take uh, come from China mainly and take years to actually manufacture. So, so I, I've heard
0: people say like if we prepared for this, it might cost us f- ten billion. F- yeah, I don't know, f- few billion or million. I don't know pocket change. Yeah, I mean it's a big number, but globally, it's pocket change. And mm-hmm. the claim is that we would protect ourselves from any said event. I don't know. I think the people that we're trying to preach to about this are like, okay, so how likely is this? And then you say, well, I don't know. We don't necessarily know how to predict how the sun behaves.
1: And then they'll go, okay, so we won't do that. Which seems like exactly where you'd want to spend your money. Right. It seems exactly why you (laughs) want to do it. Is this a world ending event? Yes. How much is it going to cost? A couple billion no. which is nothing. how much is it going to cost you do the uh
0: yeah Thanos it cost everything
1: it, it cost everything I, I don't even know that reference no. I know Thanos but from Marvel oh Marvel. yeah no no I'm with you now mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I think Michio Kaku he's a guy mm-hmm. he and a couple other scientists were petitioning Congress to spend this money that might be where I heard it is... from yeah yeah and all it takes is you just have to bury the power lines and shield them and ground your transformers. Um I don't know. It it seems like I'll, a no-brainer. I'll take to your me. word
0: for it. I don't claim to know what they actually say that we would have to do, but they said it'd be easy. I mean it would cost some money. Mm-hmm. But
1: yeah, and it's it's potentially a civilization ending event. I mean, if the power goes out, if it burns out um our, the Transformers, like I was saying, it could take Years to replace them if everything was actually functioning correctly. But as soon as you lose power, now you don't have communications. How do you even put the order into China? Carrier manufacturing pigeons, man. plants. Yeah, the manufacturing plants won't be operational. And then where do you think they're going to um, send the transformers first if they're even able to make any? And that's going to be in China. So, yeah, and it's just you, you can imagine. The vehicles won't work the, either. Yeah, possibly, very possibly they won't work if it's a big enough EM pulse. And what do you think, you know, water, just think of the infrastructure. You'll lose electricity. Big population centers will not have internet be able will be to gone. Pump water.
0: Water will be gone.
1: Yeah. Power People will start be gone. dying in, in three days. Yeah. And then starving after that. I mean, there's estimates that it's at least 90% of the human population will die if, if we lose the power grid. So it seems like something that's worth, you know, like 40 billion dollars or something in that ballpark, you know. Uh, oh, that's just the money we sent to Ukraine. That's right. <laughs> but, so it's less less than that. Um but yeah, I don't know, I'm passionate about that. There's actually something you can look up, it's called the Carrington event that happened in uh the late 1800s. It was a pretty substantial solar flare that hit hit the earth and the only real electric technology that was around then was telegraph wires. And you can read some of the, the, um, stories about that, but the, the EM, the energy was enough that it would light these telegraph poles on fire. Basically there was so much energy going through the telegram lines, telegraph lines and like telegraph machines would be typing messages, um, just by themselves. And, People were getting electrocuted when they would touch them. I mean, and that's, that's a dumb, dumb technology with, you know, pretty robust as far as electricity goes. When we talk about our cell phone networks. It would just fry, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> you can imagine. And satellites would all be fried. Um, I know there was actually a solar flare that just happened that knocked out a bunch of the... Uh, the Tesla Starlink satellites, like half of them, <laughs> they just got fried and were crashing down. So but, I just found reference to, to the
0: Carrington event. It was actually uh, 1850s. Oh, 50s. Okay. E- yeah,
1: 1850. Almost late. Oh, I thought you said in 1980s. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I misheard the you eight, Late 1800s, I said, yeah, but okay. not late. I misheard you. I might have said it wrong too. Yeah, if it was in the 80s,
0: so I don't it probably wouldn't be. Here. I don't know if this particular source I'm reading they haven't specified, but if it would, they claim 30 billion dollars. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. for the U.S. or the world.
1: Probably the U.S.
0: Yeah, because they did say New York itself would be one billion. Oh no no no. just one day without power in new york city itself would cost 1 billion you know in yeah. delayed services and all that stuff
1: because the stock market's there too so yeah. you shut that down but i mean just think of the human life cuz if you don't get that grid back up in 3 days everybody's going to run out of water and it's not going to be pretty so yeah be something cool to spend spend some money on, you know, Somebody <laughs> to just harden up the grid. Somebody
0: quoted, or I, I don't know who said this, but they, they quoted, your cell phone might survive just fine, but the cell towers wouldn't, so you would have a very nice calculator with a limited battery life.
1: Exactly. Yeah, how long does your battery last? Because you're days. not going to be able to charge it. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty useless. Yeah. That's why you got to get some, uh, some Faraday cages and put your sensitive electronics in there some ham radios but that's only if you're crazy that's crazy people stuff <laughs> <laughs> i can neither confirm nor deny that i have a metal trash can somewhere in my house with radios in it <laughs> <laughs> uh no and it's not even just the sun either too if you get a big enough um if there was a gamma um, ray burst. not a, Yeah. Gamma, gamma ray burst. Exactly.
0: It'd take about five minutes um, to wipe out everything on half the planet. Yeah. I think we, we talked about this previously on a different episode and we said it would be instant, Did we? but I think, I think I looked it up afterwards. I do have to take back a little bit what I said. It wouldn't be instant. It would destroy our ozone and kill us in about five minutes.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So it'd be slow. Yeah.
0: yeah. Five, as long <laughs> five, as five minutes of your minutes.
1: life. It'd be a hell of a sunburn, too. Yeah. (laughs) Ugh. Not cool. Not much we can do about that, but aside from, you know, having maybe another uh, colony on another planet, you know, like Mars, for instance, it would lessen the chance that it would hit both planets at the same time, but yeah, I don't know. Stuff to keep you up at night.
0: A lot of things keep me up at night.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know what where you're going there. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, I just mean there's so many different things um, that we have to think about. You know, it seems mm-hmm. like every other week I look at the news and I see another scientific group is saying there's a there's an asteroid the size of, you know, two two times larger than the, the Burj Khalifa that could.
1: Yeah. Oh, man, I listen to. I just listened to something. What was his name? What's his name? Um, Randall Carlson. He has a podcast. It's called... um, There I go. Plugging more podcasts. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Um, I don't see anything wrong with it, right? Uh, It's called Cosmographia. And some of the stuff they talk on there is pretty, like, voodoo, new age. I don't know how I feel about it with, like... Anyways, but he does have some good, hard science stuff about... um, meteor impacts and asteroid impacts and how very common they are in the grand scale of things. Like all you really have to do is look at the moon to get an idea of what's been hitting the earth for the last four billion years. It's just covered with craters. And you can imagine if at least every single one of those has hit the earth too, or the same number in the same period of time. Um, It's just that we don't have the evidence because the craters get eroded um, because obviously the water, water on earth, but yeah, like you're saying in the news, there's, oh, it's a near miss, near, near miss, but we're only tracking the ones that are headed basically directly towards us that are coming from this side of the sun. And there's really nothing we can do about it anyways. If we did see a big one coming directly at us, you know. Um well that seems like something that would be important to invest a little bit of money into.
0: You know how we uh we talked about the Lagrange points I think mm-hmm. two episodes ago I think it was. Yep. Um That's also where a lot of what they call Trojan asteroids reside because they get into that spot and they're as we mentioned that Lagrange point the one the one that I'm speaking of that's uh what do we say? Uh one, three and two yeah, one through five. There, oh. There's one through five, but like only three of them are stable.
1: Mm, I think it okay.
0: was, or something like that. But these these stable Lagrange points, you know, imagine the Earth rotating around the sun. The this, the two stable ones nearest us are in front of us in our orbit and behind us in our orbit. And the the Trojan uh, asteroids are, well, they're either in front of us or behind us, and it would take just, you know, a little bit of external nudge for them to exit that stable spot, and then come mm-hmm. up from behind us or slowly back up into us.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think one of
0: them is called Apophis. Maybe.
1: Yeah, that sounds familiar. I don't. Uh, I think they predict that that one's going to eventually impact us but it's in like thousands of years, but they've mapped out its, its trajectory and they can figure that out, which in and of itself is really fascinating to be able to map things out that far in the future. Yeah. Um, And then there's like the, the Oort cloud too, which is out by, I think that's by Pluto. There's another one that's by Jupiter too, about, I think around Jupiter's area. And there's a bunch of, bunch of rocks there that just need a little nudge and they come falling towards the sun. If we happen to be in the way, it's not going to be good. I'm trying to think of, there's a, there's videos actually um, of, I think it was 2014 of some uh, meteor or asteroid. I never remember. I think it's a meteor when it enters the um, atmosphere, but um, pretty small rocks actually that were videotaped in Russia and basically came in at a low angle and blew up a couple miles above yep. some cities in Russia. I remember that. That's pretty epic. That is epic to watch those videos and you hear the boom, like it goes by and basically melts and then blows up and then it takes about 30 seconds for the, the shock wave to reach the ground and just blows out windows and sets off car alarms but that's a tiny rock. And there's, um, if you want to check out, it's called meteor crater in, I think it's Arizona. It might be New Mexico. Uh, but it's, that was like a, like a 10 foot wide rock. I think and it's got this, it might've been bigger than 10 feet, but it, um, it made a mile wide crater. That's about half a mile deep. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And that's a small one. That's a very small rock.
0: I'd have to look it up here. Yeah, I remember I remember reading about that, uh, whether they classified it as an asteroid or a meteoroid above Russia, but the analysis that they did, it was like a nuclear bomb going off over where it was.
1: Shattered mm-hmm. windows,
0: like, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's I mean that's pretty much that's almost yeah, it's almost a nuclear bomb. I mean it can have well cause the same amount of what, energy. What happens is sure. as it acts as it
0: enters the atmosphere, once it hits once it gets low enough where most of our like our oxygen oxygen is and stuff or air, it's actually quite dense. So when it actually gets mm-hmm. to that point in our atmosphere, it's like it's like taking your hand and slapping a a body of water really hard Mm -hmm. it hurts because it's able to resist a lot of force and when it hits that part of the atmosphere the rock which is probably already destabilizing because by this point it is burning up to some extent but then when it hits Mm -hmm. that it just it explodes it's like you know throwing a chunk of concrete against a wall
1: yeah yeah exactly because it's they're going tens of thousands of miles an hour and then slowing down and heating up and so, you know, the rock can turn into gas. It gets so hot, and then it's obviously hitting that atmosphere and slowing down too. So it just explodes. It vaporizes. Uh, there was one in in Russia in the 19, I think it was early 1900s. And I'm having a mental block as to what it was called. Why um, I keep thinking of like Chelyubinsk or something, but that's not right. Maybe that's the area it impacted, but it blew up in the atmosphere and leveled just miles of trees. And luckily there was nobody really living in that area, but that's something to check out too. I don't know how you'd Google that cause I didn't give you the name, but, um, I pulled up this, um, meteor crater and it was actually 160 feet. Um, the rock that hit, it was actually made out of nickel iron. But that crater is insane. It is, eh, what is it? Where are the stats on it? it hit 50,000 years ago. I, it's hilarious. They actually have a speed of the rock, 29,000 miles an hour. <laughs> I don't know how they figure that out. Um,
0: I think if, if there was any remaining, so you're saying that there, there was a chunk of it left
1: yeah they're actually it looks like they have a chunk
0: so a chunk of it i'm sure what they did is they they measured how big it is and how much it weighs to get the volume and the mass and Mm. then what they do is they measure the depth and the width of the crater and there's a lot of formula out there that they use in a lot of uh post-blast analysis and stuff of either like objects like this or stuff Uh, but they they punch in the mass the volume the size of the crater the depth of the crater and i think even part of it is how much of the 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 dirt at the or whatever medium it hits at the edge of the crater has kind of billowed above what have been ground level ah i see and with those variables they're able to calculate with what force or what speed something of that mass would have had to have gone.
1: Jeez. You sound like a impact crater analysis. I've taken a class <laughs> <Jeez>. or two. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now <clears throat> I get it. Um, there was a, Oh, another thing just on meteors. Um, I, I read a story a few months ago about um, like the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. how it was wiped out by fire from the sky Or whatever the you know, I don't know exactly how the story goes or how it um, describes it, but I think it's fire from the sky. And they actually found a couple destroyed cities in the Middle East in that area that were hit by a um, meteor or an airburst meteor. So it's almost it almost seems like that adds up, doesn't it? It's like an actual historical account of something that happened. Uh, I, I don't know. I found that fascinating. You'd have to, it's been a while since I read that story though.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of we talk about that. To recap, we talked about general definitions and functions of robots, the sounds of galaxies and related topics as we meandered and segued to what our thoughts were. If you found this conversation engaging and entertaining and want others to experience this as well, we encourage you to mention this podcast to your family and friends, like or subscribe and leave a comment on our podcast site. Rerecord weekly and post episodes every Tuesday. As always, have a good day and keep that curious mind fresh.